Nelson in looking for Garza backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, y'all. Five Strike Final, JCM Jones from Dirty South Soccer and MultipleListingService.com. Multiple Joe Patrick from Dirty South Soccer and also MultipleListingService.com and also 99 The Game is over there. Say hey, Joe. Uh, hey, Sam. We've been talking for about five minutes before we started the show here, and we have not addressed the elephant in the room this morning. Of- oh, boy. What's that? I apologize for kind of going off on Twitter a little bit, but I, it wasn't about you. I will say it was about Liverpool fans in general. It is definitely the fans uh-huh. that really get on me, but not you. Uh-huh. You in particular, you get it. You get I it. Get you it. laughed at the Champions League, uh, at, at the TNT Champions League thing about them like doing the SEC thing for Liverpool. You get right. it. So yeah. I appreciate you, Sam. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I get it, I think, because I've never had a team that – has those qualities right <laughs> like, i've never been the bad guy except for you know with with now atlanta united and what liverpool has turned into which is slowly becoming like a a notre dame cardinals kind of thing right <laughs> where like everyone's just oh this is the purest form of how this You're is right. supposed to work and i am super here for it um, but yeah, so sorry about the loss today. Um, y'all will, y'all will no, no, it's, turn it's it around or something. Yeah, I don't know. Might hey, be it was better that I was telling you. I was telling you and sorry, I was I was telling you and Doug at the game on uh, when, when when did Atlanta United play that game on Thursday? That um, as long as we as long as Tottenham kept it under three goals, then I would be happy. And so I guess I have to you know say I'm happy with what happened. But damn it, if it's not the hope that kills you. Well, there you go. Moral victories. Moral victories. Uh, fortunately for Joe's Atlanta United half, there are actual victories to be had over the last week. Uh, Atlanta takes down Philly 2 nothing in uh, the Eastern Conference semifinal on Thursday in Atlanta. And all in all, just another really steady, really defensively kind of inclined win where Atlanta jumped out early and took a lineup that wasn't necessarily – designed primarily to play defensively but set back and, and kind of understood how to control the game and eventually picked up a late easy to nothing win joe they just know how to win in these situations man it's like we've talked about yeah before it's it's just the culture right now yeah totally i mean i was just so impressed with like you said the way they controlled the game but the way that they the way the way that they were so prepared for it tactically with these pieces mm-hmm. like Mikey Ambrose and Florentine Pogba coming in, like they didn't miss a beat tactically. They never looked out of position. They never looked flustered in that sense. Um, I think both of those guys are limited generally in what they can do with the ball, but they didn't play, try to play beyond their limits. They weren't asked to do anything beyond their limits, which I think you have to give credit to Frank DeBoer and kind of constructing the side um, to kind of suit the, these players. I, you know, Something I, I forget who said this, where I originally heard this may have been Malcolm Gladwell, which is uh, questionable, but um, he talked about uh, soccer being a weak link sport as opposed to basketball, which is like you're you're carried by your best player. Your best player can kind of you know, carry the team and, and, and you're as good as your best player. In soccer, it's like you're as, 
you're as bad as your worst player, essentially. Um, uh, you know, um, 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 a piece that doesn't fit can really kind of tear, tear you apart in a game uh, right. if, if it's exploited by the opponent. And players like Florentine Pogba and Mikey Ambrose were not exploited in that way. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to the players, of course, and but then also the staff um, in, in constructing the side. It was interesting. I heard an interview with Mikey Ambrose by uh, Mike Conti and Jason Longshore after the game. Um, and Mikey said that he was informed on Monday that he was starting. Mm-hmm. So that means that what they played the other game on Saturday at 1 p.m. So that means Frank DeBoer probably after that game, probably took the rest of the afternoon off. And then Sunday was probably in, in the film room with his coaching staff building a game plan and <laughs> probably just decided he was going to use Mikey Ambrose on Sunday and told him on Monday. So pretty crazy. It's not too far off, actually, from, I don't know if he caught this in the press box, but he mentioned this, uh, that it took, like, I think five minutes, he said, for him to really sit down and go, okay, well, this is this is it. Mikey's starting, right? Mikey's the one that kind of makes sense for this, um, especially, he said, with trying to get PT and Barco into the game, which I think worked really well for the most part because again they were able to jump out early and kind of stay back but mm-hmm. I, I do want to say that it, i think it speaks very well to the depth of this team which is something we've talked about before but to see folks who are like the backup to the backup and in ambrose case the backup to the backup to the backup come in <laughs> yeah and, and be able to hang right it, and be able to hang well that's extremely impressive, and it's it's another credit to, to Darren Eels and Bocanegra and Co. who have built a roster um, and who have been allowed to build a roster by this payroll that they have and then the money going into this. It's just one of the reasons why this has worked so well. Um, and again, fully credit as well to, to FDB for the tactical changes he made, but to have the ability to even do that and not have it blow up in your face and have it look unorganized like a certain couple of teams out West did and the game following yeah. United, you know, that's, that's yeah. really impressive. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing that Atlanta United looks defensively as solid as any team in the playoffs, considering the uh, complete injury crisis they're suffering from right now at the back. I will say that, you know, when it comes to Frank Dvorak, kind of the way that people are praising him for this, I will just say that again, similarly to the tactical change that he made, against the New England Revolution when he made that double substitution, which did not include bringing on Pitti Martinez, which I kind of said would would have been the easy substitution to make because nobody could really criticize you for doing something like that. Right. Again, this to, to start Mikey Ambrose is very similar. Like, no one would ever criticize FDB for leaving Justin Miram in there and kind of just sticking with what hat, you know, with what he was going with. And even if he wanted to throw Pity Martinez into the starting lineup to get him in there to just like put him in place of ever uh, Emerson Heinemann or something like that, you know, like nobody would argue with that. And I know that there was something we were talking about when the lineup first came out on Thursday was whether he had actually like overthought this and was trying to like tinker too much. <laughs> and um, turns out, no, <laughs> he thought about it, I guess the, the appropriate amount because it worked perfectly. Yeah, again, like we said, it, it took him about five minutes, he said. So that, that's kind of nice. Yeah. It's reassuring, right, to know that he's not <laughs> overthinking this. And I think this is like, this is the biggest thing for me, right? At the beginning of the year when things were crap, we had this discussion about Tata's intro into the league and Frank's. 
And we remember Tata talking about how we studied the league, how we met with Darren Eels and had a binder on certain teams, right? And everything like that. Mm-hmm. And for Frank, it was like, I have never watched MLS. This will be fun. Yeah. And then it wasn't because he had never watched MLS. We're at the point now, and I, I still personally want to point to the tipping point of Joseph Martinez yelling at him in Seattle um, as the tipping point for this. But I think what has happened is he has simply figured out what MLS is and, and how to work it, right? And I, I think the largest part of it is which you see, let's make a college football reference. Let's let's be there 10 minutes in. When you have players who are not fully competent and fully capable all the time, always, right? The team that's going to make the less disastrous mistakes is probably going to have a pretty damn good chance, especially if you have a ton of talent. And I, I think that's what he's realized, right? It's Tata yeah. talking about the making a mistake in the playoffs is like eating nuts in your own house. You don't want to eat nuts in your own house. Nuts are messy. Nuts are very messy. And it took Frank a second to realize that, but I think we're there now. That doesn't excuse, I don't think, his lack of preparation and understanding coming into it. But the fact that he did get time and was able to correct should be credited. And that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, and that reminds me of something else that we talked about. Do you remember early again, early in the season when things were bad? And let's just let's it's okay to admit that things were bad. It was bad and it's much better now, but it was bad at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Both things can be true. Yeah, the, the, this happens all the time when we we being the sports media in general kind of talk about things. Like, yeah, two things can be true, and they're not always contradictory. Anyway, anyway uh, you know, we talked about him. It didn't seem like he really knew how to best utilize the players at his disposal, right? Like we would argue about, I can't think of anything in particular, but maybe it's like, you know, where, where he's playing Tito, like centrally instead of wide, or, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of spitballing things here, but I remember us discussing the fact that like, it was like, it was frustrating because we as fans or media or anybody who had watched this team since 2017 and a lot of these players, since they've come to the club, like we felt like we knew how to better use them than what we were seeing on the field. And I feel like finally now, honestly we're seeing them utilize in a way that we couldn't even conceive of like and right. i think that this game is kind of a perfect example of that no it's a really good take um and i think the largest part of it right now is they're being utilized in multiple ways in a sense i i think tactically the flexibility is is the biggest thing right now and you, and you may be able to speak better to that than me but formation shifts and everything like that they're being they're being utilized really, really well, and, and nothing feels out of place when they happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as much as we talked about Mikey Ambrose on the left, um, I thought Ezekiel Barco did a really good job just kind of being pretty safe around him. Um, you know, he wasn't kind of venturing too far away. He, he was he was <laughs> doing a really a good job keeping his shape. And I thought that left side was important because on the other side, you got playoff Franco. I, I laughed because I knew where this was going immediately as soon as he said, and he stays in place. And I went, yeah. yep, yeah, I know where this is Cause, heading. Because Franco Escobar was going up, it, you know, if uh, if Ezekiel Barco was not, you know, advancing up to fill the, the you know, the left wing role, then uh, Franco Escobar would, would be getting there from his right back spot. I mean, he was all over the place. But I thought it was actually really great. I thought that his tandem, like, he and Gressel, are kind of the perfect foil for one another on the right side because 
with Franco's athleticism and unpredictability and just his, his good physical attributes, you have a guy like Russell there who provides the, you know, a little bit more of a, a tactical brain in, in his head, um, just like kind of, you know, more, I guess, aware of his position um, and also aware of Franco's position, you know, and where he needs to be in relation to that. And then also, obviously, of course, the the, the final product, we all know the kind of ball that Julian Gressel can serve in from that wing. So I just thought the two of them, and it's important that Gressel has evolved as a player to the point where he can actually drop into that right back spot if Franco goes forward. And they can just both kind of interchange. I, I didn't even really feel like either of them had a really set position other than like on a goal kick when, when play started or something. They were just so fluid on that right side. And I thought that it caused the union all kinds of trouble. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of scary. I'm looking at their position chart right now uh, with, with Julian and Franco. They're right next to each other. It's very funny. They're like almost touching on where the, yeah. uh, the who scored chalkboard has them as their average position. Um, it, I also say it again. I well, I was going to say they were, it was really important for them to um, play 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 well in this game because the way that Philadelphia set up, they had those two strikers that were basically like kind of covering uh, the, the Atlanta's two center backs. So the mm-hmm. fullbacks, Mikey Ambrose and Franco, were the ones who were kind of freer on the ball, and so it was the onus was kind of on them to progress the ball. There wasn't a lot of ball progression that could be made up the middle through through Philadelphia's diamonds. So, yeah, I thought their performances were huge in the game. Yeah, no, very good. Um, and there was worry with Ambrose, too. We, we kind of thought that Elsino was going to come in at some point and just torch him, which yeah. he did one time. He did. <laughs> the last time they played, um, it did not go well. I think, I think it may have been just Mario Lorenzo um, who said that Elsino had, like, 12 completed dribbles. Like, that wasn't even a joke. It was, like, 12. <laughs> Um, so for this to go much, much better uh, is is very, very impressive. The fullbacks were huge. Uh, and you got to love playoff Franco, even at points, deciding to flick the ball up to himself and commit to a overhead bicycle kick cross into the box <laughs> that uh, had absolutely no point. It was phenomenal. We all just started busting out laughing the second that happened. Like before the ball had gotten to whoever, you know, it was just the action of him, anyone hitting an overhead kick from there. Like unless you're trying to make some desperate clearance or something. It's just, you, you make one it's, 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 it's about what, guy and all of a sudden they start feeling themselves a little bit, right? Yeah, right. It's, it's I mean, impressive. that that is something that someone who's playing soccer while high on cocaine would do. <laughs> Not saying that that's what was the, was the case, but that is something that. What are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> let's let's move on. He played like a man possessed. He played like a man possessed. Much better. Much I, better. I do uh, one more thing about this before we kind of sure. move on from the the fullbacks. Mikey Ambrose, like I I, I do wonder if I, okay. First of all, I think that Frank probably really wanted to go to the back four to get an extra body in midfield because he he knew he was going up against Jim Curtin's diamond and. Any soccer manager, almost any, um, especially the good ones, are going to want to match up in midfield or, like, you know, not get outnumbered in midfield, essentially. So I think that that was probably a reason why Frank DeBoer did not, was wary about having a three and just getting totally overrun in midfield. And so, and I also do wonder if now that, that he, they basically showed that they can use Mikey Ambrose out there, 
but he was limited and they did protect him a lot. I wonder if that was like something that they don't feel like they can go back to that well, because it's like, it kind of sprang Philadelphia by surprise a little bit. And, uh, you know, a tactical guy like Greg Vanny, who they'll play in the next game against mm-hmm. Toronto here on Wednesday, you have, you wonder if they feel like they might get exploited if they try to trot that up there again, because I'm not in the camp. Like I hate, like, Again, it, I just always feel torn when I when I have to, you know, critique the team and the squad and the players, whatever. Um, Mikey Ambrose played great. You know, he was amazing. He came in. If if Atlanta United goes on to win MLS Cup, he will be a big part of the reason why. But he's still just like a pretty mediocre to below average left back in MLS. Like, you know, so how are how confident are you in him to just to put him out there again? I guess that's the question I have going into this game. Not for you to answer, but I'm just kind of curious right. to see how it will play out. If I was going to answer, I would say not very, if we're going to be totally yeah. honest. <laughs> I kind of lean that way. Yeah. You know, it, it would not feel good, but there's only so many options, right? Um, did see Parky running the other day, though, on a, on a Snapchat yeah. from Justin Miro, I think. So that's a possibility that they could go back that back through, but we'll talk more about that in a little bit. as we kind of move into our Toronto preview portion of five stripe final, the, the poorly, poorly named five stripe final. We never, we said we were going to fix this name at some point and it's been two years and it's never happened. <laughs> yeah. We might have to do a, a fresh rebrand or something over the off season. Ooh, I like it. That kind of, that makes me feel things. Also making me feel things. Pity Martinez. Very good. I thought, uh, especially the first yeah. assist to Gressel where I, I legit, first time it happened, of course, we're sitting in the press box and I kind of went, I don't know if he meant to do that because there was almost <laughs> no way he could have seen Gressel coming in, but I went back and watched the replay, of course, and you can kind of see him look up. And it takes one little it, glance. Yeah, it's a, it's a tiny glance, and if you saw him at all, it was out of the corner of his eye, but you did see him, I think. And yeah. it was really, really brilliant to see that ball come through. And, and of course, credit to Gressel for running onto it and, and finishing gorgeously, really. One yeah. of the best finishes we've ever, we've ever seen, I think, from an Atlanta United player to Chip Blake and, and bounce it off the underside of the crossbar like that. But let's talk about PD a little bit. I think we have to because he was sure. such a major story coming into this. We didn't know if we were even going to see him, really. We, we didn't know if Heinemann was going to be the man throughout the playoffs. Uh, but we talked about Frank being willing to, to make those decisions, and he, he makes a solid decision again, works out in a big way, and, and PT plays very well. I think I think we can stay on both sides of the ball, at least relative to what we saw in the regular season. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought he was great. He was probably my he was my man of the match. I, I there were a lot of candidates, a lot of guys played well. Uh Braggazan had a match match saving save at the time against um Aronson. But uh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I thought he was that's the game that he had is what you hope to get out of him, you know, on, on a game by game basis, but especially in the playoffs, everybody kind of has, you know, has heard the stories or whatever that, that he always shows up in the big games and he proved it in that game. And I think that he definitely had a chip on his shoulder playing. Like, I think that he's, he seems like he has that kind of fire um, in him to prove whoever Frank DeBoer, I don't know, whoever it is, me, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, wrong. Rob Usry. Um, no, I put out a tweet. I, I should probably address this on, uh, on this podcast. I did, um, kind of retweet somebody who asked about it. Um, 
and try to explain a little bit. I had put a tweet out there before the game at some point, like while we were up at the training ground saying that, you know, like on Pitti Martinez not starting the playoffs. And I said something about like, it's not the fact that he, he doesn't play defense, like, and he does play defense, in my opinion. Um, it's that just his tendency to lose balls in midfield, in the middle of the field, is is why he's you know not starting. And that's basically from what I got from DeBoer, just like having heard, listening to DeBoer over the last couple of weeks while he's not been playing. That's the sense that I got, and that's the way Frank DeBoer spoke uh, during the last week. So, you know, just perfectly honestly, I did not think Pitti Martinez was going to start in the game. Um, Frank DeBoer talked pretty similarly to the way he talked before the New England game, um, just in terms of about the team and the individuals involved and all that. Um, and I was having to ask at training. I was asking questions about the team because I was working. I, I was writing for MLSsoccer.com, and I did not control my own editorial agenda there. So, you know, they wanted stories on Pitti having not started in, against New England. So there was lots of kind of talk about it. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've got nothing – against him i thought that was a great performance again man of the match for me and you know god i hope there's (laughs) i hope there's many more and i go i hope we can do it in a in a mls cup final at least two more right at least two more Uh, i still don't quite know about his future with the team but we'll see right well that's a conversation for a later yeah yeah um but i do want to say that with regards to everyone kind of not thinking he's going to start I never want to give people too much credit, right? Like I don't inherently believe people are air quotes that smart, right? But it low key, like I'm kind of feeling like maybe Frank was playing some like 5D Dutch yeah. man or something here and maybe unintentionally, right? But you talk about sitting him the first game and then all of a sudden he kind of has that renewed sense of, of purpose and drive or whatever. And then all of a sudden you look up and he's making runs from midfield to track back and cut off a play in his own penalty area, which he did once. And we were all kind of astounded. It was him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, again, I don't want to say that people are that smart, but it is fun to think about <laughs> if, if it does kind of come true that, uh, that Frank was like, yeah, I'm just going to, going to leave him out of this one i think we can win this one without him and have him really show up for the next few games um it's it's very much likely that the truth is actually you know they just made the actual tactical decision and that pt is always going to show up in big games because he knows what's on the line but uh i'm kind of feeling my conspiracy theory right now i'm feeling it no i i agree yeah no it makes it makes sense it does doesn't it don't all of them I get. I think it's 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 Frank getting smarter over the course of the season. Like he's just settling in. You know, he's settling into it tactically in terms of managing the players on the squad. You know, knowing what pushes their buttons. Got. I I think he's really got got a really good grasp of it. Yeah, and he seems to be more comfortable in general, right? Like this is something that me and you talked about in the locker room just right after the press conference after the game where we both had the same thought kind of amazingly because I thought I was a crazy person while I was thinking it that Frank just seems more at ease and comfortable in a way that we we really haven't seen from him especially with the media over the last few months yeah yeah um I don't even remember now what it was that kind of indicated this but um 
Yeah, he just seems he seems relaxed. I remember, you know, early in the season when the results were not there, some of those press conferences were like it was like uncomfortable being in there. Oh, definitely. And I had a blast, but it was uncomfortable. <laughs> but that was kind of the best part of it. Anyway, continue. Because 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 it was like it was uncomfortable because it, it seemed like he didn't have the answers and and like we somehow did or we knew better, you know, kind of a, a, along the same lines of what we discussed a little bit earlier. Right. And I think now, again, along with what we've been saying, I think it all kind of works hand in hand because he has that he feels like he has the tactical grip on the team. It's showing in the team's performances. I think that that all just makes you more comfortable and more confident in those settings. Exactly right. You know, it's just winning, essentially. But it, I think, I don't know, there, there's kind of something, there was something different about it. Um, and there was something different in the locker room, too, which I think is really interesting, that I talked about a bit on the MLS UK pod that I was on the other day. I think that's coming out in a couple of days. Go check that out. Henry and Henry member, good folk over there. And uh, I think they're, they're over there in Stoke. Um, but Ooh. what I talked about was this feeling in the locker room, because they asked was there a big celebration in the locker room? And I went, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> right. Like, because yeah. the, the culture is so much at this point that it is ingrained that there are bigger games, right? Like I think we'll yes, see absolutely. It. We'll see it if they beat Toronto, but a semifinal win, honestly, didn't really feel like that huge of a moment. It didn't really feel much different than any other game, which was fascinating to me. Right. Um, yeah. And kind of crazy to think about because last year when it happened, of course, it was it was a huge deal. It's a huge deal to take down. I, I believe it was in my CFC at that point um, to go on and face Red Bulls. Everyone was ecstatic. Um, but it's amazing how quickly things have changed in just a, just a little bit. Right. It helps when yeah. you win every major trophy over the last 11 or so months, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, I've noticed that. I, I, I've noticed that even after wins, there's no, there isn't music playing in the locker room anymore. I don't know if that's something like for the media, so that it's not, it's like easier for us to record people and hear people on our recordings and stuff. But I, that was pretty regular under Tata Martino um, before this season. After after wins, there'd be music. After losses, there wouldn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember that. That's how, that's how it is. With the Braves too, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, it just feels like it's more business as usual. And I, 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 I should say, like, I remember being at, um, I was lucky enough to, for readers of Dirty South Soccer to fund my, my flight to, for me to take a trip to Red Bull Arena last year for the Eastern, Eastern Conference Final when they clinched it on the road. And there wasn't like, I mean, there was celebration in the locker room for sure, but <laughs> it was funny. I, remember, I just, The thing I remember the most after that game is like, talking to Remetti and he was just like so exhausted. He was either exhausted or just like incredibly like zoned in or something. But I remember talking to him. I had to like sit down on a bench next to him that he was sitting on. He had a, he had his championship hat on and he was just sitting there. And I had asked Justin, the translator to, to talk to him. Um, and he was like, wait, you want to talk to Remetti? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like taking it back because no one ever asks to talk to Eric. He hardly does any media, but um, 
yeah, I don't know. He was just like he had this crazy look on his in his eye, like in his on his face. It was, I, and I, again, I couldn't tell if it was just like pure exhaustion or if it was some sort of like I can't believe I'm in this moment. Um, but he kind of like had his head straight forward, had again had his hat pulled down pretty far, and just like you know answer the questions, but didn't really make a whole lot of eye contact. It was just not very like um, I don't know. It was it was just a, it was an interesting experience. It wasn't good or bad. I, I actually enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was just. Um, interesting to note. And people may have enjoyed that little story that doesn't lead anywhere. <laughs> Except for this great commercial break, which we'll listen to uh, we'll listen to some uh, ads for some underwear right now. Wow, what an ad. What a, what a magical ad. Enjoyed the hell out of that one. Joe? You know, we keep, we keep making fun of MeUndies, and I think it's actually Spencer Hall who's like talking about his podcast. Oh, that's like... <laughs> That's like my idol. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh-oh. Anyway, Joe, there's a... Shut down full cast. Great podcast. Shut down full cast. Yeah. Soccer down every day should be soccer day. That's what this is. Anyway, Joe, there's a big problem. What's that? There's a big, big problem facing Atlanta United as Toronto comes to town on Wednesday. Do you know what it is? What what is the big problem? Oh, um, Alejandro Pozuelo. No, no, no. It's even worse. It's even worse. Joe, I don't know if you you noticed this, but Greg Vanny looked extremely handsome the other night. God, against him, <laughs> guys leveled up. The the glow up was quite real. It, there was like a scarf, pocket square, long hair, long beard combo happening here that uh genuinely have not seen from him ever at any point and, and a man with that kind of confidence coming into anywhere that spreads throughout the team right and frankly i think we're doomed yeah i mean he's he's an mls head coach he does not have the money for a stylist like he's he's doing this himself which makes it all the more impressive it's like you can't fun. trust any of those premier league coaches they're not they're not styling themselves they got people telling them what to wear to make them look smart and give them better contracts exactly, exactly. Danny. Mm. Danny's got some uh, ingenuity about him. Exactly right. It's scary. It's scary, but I will concede that that Pizuelo is also very, very scary. But at the same time, I I do want to talk about kind of going into this, kind of two vastly different semifinal appearances for both teams, right? And really Toronto's kind of ascension to this point is fascinating to me. Because you have the first game against D.C. where really D.C. hung around for, of course, really the entire time, grabbed the late goal, sends it extra time, and then D.C. implodes, right? Yeah. And then you have them go to NYCFC and to just, wow, that they was... dominated. What? But, like, the two goals they actually scored, <laughs> some real dumb boy stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, dumb, dumb stuff. Oh, I mean, the gift on the back pass, genuinely the single worst tackle given the scenario I've ever seen in my life that leads to a penalty. That wow, just stunningly bad from NYCFC. I don't know how much of it has been them compared to them facing teams that have have crumbled for some reason, right? Mm -hmm. I want you to kind of talk me off that ledge, though. Well, I mean, I, I think that Toronto is a team that definitely has its weaknesses, but 
they also definitely have their strengths. I mean, and I'm not some expert on Toronto FC or anything, but just from the few games I've watched, and especially recently in these playoff games, I'm just so impressed with um, the way they pass. When they when they turn over an opponent in midfield, they're very good at immediately, whoever's not on the ball immediately finds a really good space to occupy, and uh, it makes them very hard to mark. And they just pass it in these little, they get into these spaces, and they just, it's like these like short little diagonal passes, just moving all up the field quite quickly, um, and with a with a purpose. And it's just really fun to watch. I really enjoy um, watching them play when they're kind of in their top form like that. Uh, I, I think they're they've got some weaknesses, especially at the back. I'm not sold on their on their back. I don't think ever since they lost Drew Moore that they've really replaced him with someone who is as steady as him at the back. You know, he's kind of right. like their they're Michael Parker, so they haven't really found a really great replacement for. They they got Omar Gonzalez, and I'm not even sure if he's going to be healthy for this game, but even if he is, he's not like I would definitely <laughs> I would rate Joseph Martinez's chances against Omar Gonzalez. Like um really Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm I think any US soccer fan who's watched him enough Omar Gonzalez is like just scarred <laughs> for life by him. But it's a dangerous team, and I'm really just scared of the way that they've been that Danny's been utilizing uh, Alejandro Pozuelo in that kind of false nine role. I feel like that's a really good tactic that could be used against Atlanta United um, because Atlanta United has center backs, you know, whether it's in a two or a three or whatever. But you've got Franco Escobar who's played center back, LGP. Both of those guys could easily be dragged around by someone who floats around like a false nine would, and. That is something that scares me. It's just not. It's just not something that you see that often, and you wonder how the team will be able to adjust to that kind of style. Yeah, no. If anyone goes over too far, I mean, he can just he can do whatever he wants to with it, right? He, we've seen him score some incredible goals. So he, of course, gets both goals in the win over NYCFC. Uh, torched us last time we played them up in Toronto. Of course, uh, PT had the chance to win. No, excuse me, tie the game. At yeah. the very end with a PK that, that skied over. So there's a bit of a redemption arc here for him. Um, on, on top of that, of course, you have Bradley and, and others coming out. I, I don't think Altador will be ready. I'm not sure on that, though. There's, yeah, I, it does not look good for him. Like, maybe he can come in as a sub. Maybe. Like, I think that's the best case scenario for them. No way he starts. Okay. Okay. Well, it's funny. I'm writing a thing right now for the for the major listing, multiple listing service, whatever it is, and uh, they're asking me to write about the time Bradley and Altidore came in 2017, and yeah. the ball got within 20 yards, right? And they would boo Bradley and Altidore to hell and back. Really, I didn't realize. I didn't realize off the top of my head that Gonzalez was also going to be there. On Wednesday, <laughs> and I feel like if any animosity is still there from folks about 2017, then uh, that needs to be extended to Mr. Gonzalez as yeah. well. But you know, it I is mean, I see like Lawrence Simon starting for them in place. That's Joseph's going to do well there, right? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I yeah, yeah, I rate his chances. I think they're going to those guys going to get booed again though, because it's not like it's not even about the fact that of what happened in the world cup thing. It's more just that like when they came in 2017, it was really funny. It was real funny. And so yeah. it's going to be funny. And so people are like, yeah, that was pretty funny. That was pretty, that was, that was fun. It's going to be fun to do it again. 
<laughs> and that's why people exactly are going right. to do it again. Like, it, <laughs> and I feel well, bad for those guys. Like, you know, they're just going to get mercilessly booed. <laughs> and I, I think what's fun is that we're like talking out my article right now as I sit here, having not <laughs> written it yet. But this is essentially like this is a real time meme, isn't it? This is yes, a, a, this it's is performative. A exactly right this is a bit that came to life in front of us and continued in 2018 and i fully expect the same thing here especially since some intrepid soccer writer has decided to restoke those flames before this game (laughs) um it's gonna be really fun i think and everyone's gonna keep doing it which is a blast honestly and and i know that (laughs) doug overson loves it in particular because he despises michael bradley and everything that he stands for so you know yeah yeah but it was it was Go good in Frank DeBoer's post-game press conference. Doug, I think Doug <laughs> asked about Toronto, what dangers yeah. they present. And, uh, and Frank, first, <laughs> after failing to remember Michael Bradley's name and trying to like hide behind the tiny microphone on his table um, <laughs> in embarrassment that he forgot his name, uh, he eventually had to be like, uh, the coach's son. <laughs> and then uh, everybody's like, Michael Bradley. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah, yeah. And he started like, yeah, he started giving, he started praising, like, you know, his passing and whatever. As soon as he did that, I just look over at Doug, and Doug is looking very skeptically at uh, Frank DeBoer. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, Doug, not everyone dominates their world like Michael Bradley does yours, right? So, yeah. not everyone has the same obsession. You gotta understand, man. Um, no. I, do, I do think one quick tactical note, speaking sure. of Bradley, is that I do think that um, maybe it helps Atlanta that they just played a team in the Philadelphia Union that have a very, very similar player to Michael Bradley in Harris Madunian. And and not only is he a similar style, but he's just similar well, he is a similar style and that helps, but he's just the same kind he performs a very similar function and value within that team. So I think that uh you know maybe that gives them a little bit of a, a tactical advantage. But then again also maybe you're if you're Greg Vanny, you could be like, oh well that's what they're going to do against Harris Madunian. So you know we can prepare for that. So it should be a really interesting little tactical battle there. Yeah, no, I, I think they. I think this feels very similar to me as far as the Philadelphia matchup, and, and that they can kind of cut you open anytime if you're not careful. It's just on an even more yes. talented playing field, right? Like it, it's not quite Bedoya coming at you. It's Pozuelo and you know Osorio and others who are who are at least a little better, I think, overall, as far as if we were just going across the board talent-wise. And that's what's kind of scary to me. But at the same time, I it's weird to see them back here. It's unexpected to see them back here. They could pull something off. But honestly, I think you got to feel pretty good about Atlanta's chances on Wednesday, especially at home. Yeah, I definitely do. I, I, I mean, I, like, yeah, you said it. Anything could happen. But... I mean, this team, uh, okay, they slept walk through a game against the Columbus crew not that long ago at home. Um, I don't remember the exact date of that game, but I remember the exact date of the game, the last home game they lost before that, which was on April 20th, I want to say. I, I only remember because I looked it up for an article a couple weeks ago, but I mean, yeah. this team has been sneaky, extremely good at home, um, just like they've been essentially since Mercedes-Benz Stadium became a thing. So I think you always feel confident at home. And, you know, we all know that fans, the fans win the game for the team. That's right. With their booing of the key players. (laughs) It makes it fun, at least. 
Um, do you want to keep in mind, folks, that you're going to be hearing a lot about their undefeated streak coming into that? Uh, I think it's about 12 games at this point that Toronto has not lost. Um, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six of those have been wins. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty stellar coming into a game, right? So they, they've clearly figured something out. They look very comfortable with what they're trying to do. I just don't know if they're going to have enough to get past Atlanta in this case, right? But, but it is interesting to kind of see that 2017 matchup that was so interesting with the new guard and the team that went to MLS Cup the year before that kind of face off against each other. And at that point, Toronto, and really since then, honestly, Toronto is, is pretty much owned Atlanta in a lot of ways. I mean, Atlanta got their first win this year against them. Uh, but, you know, wow. that weird 2-2 draw thing that kept happening over and over again. That was Oh, fine. that's right. That was, um, I forgot about that. That was like a narrative thing. They always, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so now you've got to have the last game being there's a bad taste in the mouth with PD missing that, but it feels like so goddamn long ago at this point. I, I think yeah. everything's a clean slate. I just, uh, I think Atlanta's got things more figured out right now, but I'm biased. I'm a homer. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, Atlanta wins yeah. 2 nothing though. You know what's interesting? You said that that feels like forever ago, that game they played in Toronto, and I totally agree. It feels like a different season. <laughs> and it just reminded me, I forget exactly, oh, I was talking to Jeff about this, Lorena, it's after the game on uh, Thursday. And I asked him, you know, something I was asking pretty much everybody I talked to, which was, you know, to, did did having those backup guys like Mikey Ambrose, Florentine Pogba, did having them in the back line make you feel sharper defensively? because you had to be more, you know, keyed in. And he agreed, but he said that, like, like, admitted that the team basically has a tendency to sleepwalk, like, during the season when it doesn't seem that important, you know? Which I think that that's, honestly, that's something that MLS takes heat for from a lot of foreign players that come into the league that aren't Uh, familiar with the whole playoff system and everything. (laughs) Zlatan is is a a very... uh, Zlatan, Gorlami, yeah. Yeah, And so I thought that was interesting that he admitted that, and that I think that that's also one reason why we're seeing a much better version of Atlanta United recently is because these players just, you know, when there's uh, there's this word pressure that gets used when you know you have these big games that are nationally televised and have a lot of attention on them, and I've just always gotten the impression that this team plays better. That there's no such thing as pressure or maybe it is pressure but it's good pressure like it's a pressure to perform even better for this team so um and, but i think that toronto is probably the same way you know like they're a team that has a lot of the similar kinds of qualities and i think that their win against nycfc showed that they have again like we've talked about atlanta having higher goals um than just beating you know winning a game or two in the playoffs um I think they're. I think Toronto's win against NYCFC showed that they were able to kind of like compartmentalize the DC win, put it away, and move on in a very professional manner. So uh, mm. I think it's going to be a should be a really just great game. I, I can't wait for it. I will say that it, if I want to go back to the first game of the year against Toronto, uh, it, it was in fact a molly whopping. Uh, Toronto had eight shots, none of them on target. Atlanta had nineteen shots in that one, five on target, and the two nothing win. Pizuelo was with the team at that point. Uh, obviously a bit different when they went to Toronto, a 3-2 loss there. But Atlanta gave up a goal in the very first minute 
And then a late penalty <laughs> was way low in what was 90 plus four of stoppage time there. Uh, so don't do those two things. But that is always the best a for a good shot. That is always the best for reporters because you can always use the uh, little uh, uh, bookend goals in the lead. Bookend goals. Very nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Joe Patrick, anything else you want to add to this before we get out of here? No, nope, we can get out of here. Sweet. Go follow Dirty South Soccer on Twitter at Dirty South Soccer. Go check out our stuff. You can check out me at J underscore Sam Jones. You can check out Joe at J Patrick 200. Got all sorts of stuff coming to you. I've got some stuff for MLS. I've got some stuff for DSS and Clear Navius and all those kind of things. Joe has 1990 game stuff and MLS and everything else he wants to do. I'll be training all week. Yeah, reporting on uh, on at MLSsoccer.com is where my reports will be. And uh, yeah, Dirty South Soccer. Everybody knows. Sweet. And then, uh, yeah, we should hopefully have good news for you guys and have a, a MLS Cup preview podcast coming to you in a few days. We'll see, though. We'll see. Uh, bye, y'all. Bye.